This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi, so today I'm speaking with Claire Grant from Aureoso. Aureoso is a colourful unisex baby brand created to make parents' lives easier through clever design without compromising on style. The hero product is the jogger socks, so printed jogging bottoms with non-slip socks attached into the hem to keep socks on all day long. And any of you who have babies or have had babies will know how difficult that can be. So I had a really fascinating conversation with Claire. She's the first guest um, that we've had on today who's created a fashion brand from scratch. Um, We have talked about fashion in previous episodes. I found it really interesting hearing about the steps involved in creating a fashion product, which is quite different from other products in that, of course, there were so many unknowns when you get started in terms of sorts of fabrics and um, putting things together and sizing and all kinds of things. And Claire um, very kindly talked us through all of that in loads of detail. So if you are looking to start a fashion brand I think this is a must listen episode and even if you're not I really think you will take something away from this because it is super interesting so I would now love to introduce you to Claire. So hi Claire thank you so much for being here. Hi Vicky thank you for having me I'm very excited to be on the podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you. So can you please start if you give an introduction to yourself your business and what you sell? Yes, I can. So my name is Claire. I'm a mum of one and soon to be two from Edinburgh in Scotland. I started Oriorso uh, brand two years ago when I was on maternity leave with my daughter, Oriana. Um, So Oriorso sells colourful unisex baby wear uh, designed to make parents' lives easier. And I think our hero product is our jogger socks, which are cosy, comfy jogging bottoms with non-slip socks attached into the hem so toddlers can't pull them off and to save parents time and hassle in their day-to-day. That's amazing, thank you. So I've got so many questions. Um, (laughs) Where should I start? How about what inspired you to start Oriosso? So was it linked to becoming a parent? Um, Tell me about that. Yeah, I think becoming a mum definitely was a trigger point I've always wanted to start my own business and it's always been something like in the back of my mind I love hearing about other businesses and becoming a mum was uh, a point where I had a bit more headspace I think you become so busy as a mum but you also have a huge amount of time to think whether it's rocking your baby at night or it's going out for walks with the pram Um, and I was feeling also slightly brain dead (laughs) like a lot of think a lot of mums do where you're you're just constantly like 
doing the day-to-day -day routine without actually have feeling that you've got much um, other purpose. So I started listening to podcasts. I'd always been interested in podcasts, but um, becoming a mum, like definitely started listening to more and kind of started listening to ones about how other businesses start and um, how I could start my own business. And I'd say the other thing I, I used to do is I had this little notebook that I used to keep beside me when I was feeding and I would just always be making lists of product ideas um, about stuff that was like happening to me and like things that I thought I could solve with the product. Um, so yeah, I definitely say that becoming a mum was a trigger point in starting the business and it, it gave me the time and the space to do so. Amazing, thank you. And when you were talking, I was thinking, this is so relatable because your story and mine are so similar. I started my first product business when my daughter was six months old for so many of the reasons that you'd said. And it was also looking, listening to podcasts was what got me thinking, oh, actually I could do that. So that's so exactly. interesting. Um, so you had lots of product ideas. So which, what was your first product? And tell us how that came about. Yeah, so it wasn't actually Oriorso. <laughs> I, I started with that long list of ideas of things I could do. And um, the one that I kind of started with uh, the process of developing a product or brand was, was actually mum boxes. Um, so it was around the idea of like a care box for a mum that had a slight point of difference that was like focused on the kind of the fourth trimester. And there's lots of lovely brands out there. And I wanted to do something kind of similar to that. Um, but actually after doing the kind of research phase on that, I realized how much I love developing products. So I should have mentioned at the beginning, my, but my background is in product development, but more in the kind of food space. So um, Mumboxes was a, a good idea, but there was no development of the product. It would just be like packaging and then selling. Um, so Oriorso um, came like, th that was the second idea. And Jogger Socks was the idea because my daughter was just constantly taking her socks off. I could not feel life in me keep them on. And I was constantly chasing her around the house and she had cold toes all the time. And I thought there had to be a better way. Um, and that's kind of how the idea was formed. That's amazing. Thank you. And isn't it funny how like it's often it's the thing that's causing you, I don't want to say stress, but stress or hassle or like the thing that's a problem is actually the thing that often we just manage to solve with a product. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was just like, surely there must be a better way. Um, and that was kind of the first part of developing the brand was looking at alternatives out there of like how do other mums keep baby socks on and there was there is another product on the market that that does that and I, I bought that and she managed to get that off too and I was like that's not working so we need to, we need to to do something else and that's how I came up with the first uh, concept idea. So if you don't mind could you talk us through the process of coming up with the concept to actually developing the product and I know that's a that's a big question so we can certainly break it down but where how did you get started from okay this is an idea to actually having something you could sell yeah yeah so it that is a big question I had to think about it before and I've, I've broken it down to to five phases and I'm definitely still in in the fifth phase at the moment I'm um, so research being the first product development and the manufacturing building a brand and then marketing and selling um, so I just kind of talk to the first one which is the research phase I think I, like I mentioned I had the um the the beauty of having a bit of time on my hands and I was on my phone a lot so I was able to get really stuck in with the the market research aspect and that was I kind of started uh, through Facebook groups and um 
Instagram, which are, are great sources of knowledge on um, what parents are looking for, what products are already on the market. Um, just trying to get like a real understanding of the, the baby and parenting markets and joining as many groups as possible, as well as like how to start business groups. So um, joined all of them and you can use the search function in, in Facebook groups. And that was amazing at the beginning when I was like really trying to target what my product was was going to be filling the need for and seeing if people were looking for that. And certainly I found that many mums were talking about keeping their children's socks on and there was a lot of kind of ideas of how you should do it and no one really had a, a product that did that so that was a a point where I thought okay maybe I'm onto something here um also like looking at competitors similar brands and other products on the market that maybe you're not direct competitors but have like a similar story to you and working at like how they've developed and how they market their product um and then additionally like really understanding who my target market were so for me it was it was parents with a problem who are who are in that like pain point of like how do you keep the socks on and I'm spending so long looking for them every day I'm constantly losing them so like they were a big target market as well as people looking for gifts so I'd say my product is very kind of gift worthy because it might not be something that a parent realizes they need when they have a have a child um, and if if they're given it as a gift, um, I would hope that it was something that they would say, wow, that's that's amazing. Like, I'm going to use that loads. Um, so they were the two kind of target markets for me where the, the parents with the problem as well as the gifting area. Um, so that was kind of the first phase, like the, the research and like really making sure I understood the market and also the market trends, like keywords and buzzwords um, and kind of creating what I wanted my brand to be. So I wanted it to make parents' lives easier and I really wanted to be fun, colourful. Um, I spent three years in Australia just before I had my daughter and they have some really beautiful, colourful, abstract brands that I don't see on the market here. Um, or they're not on the market here and the products are a bit different and I really wanted to kind of bring some of that colourful inspiration into my product. So that's um, the other angle as well as the, the making parents' lives easier. Oh, thank you for that. I was about, I was going to ask about the design because obviously how the product works is one thing, but yeah, there is the sort of how it looks is another because, and I guess they're, of, I don't know if they're equally important, but they're both certainly important when it comes to the overall product. Definitely. I'd say the colour aspect, um, for me, I really wanted, I love colour myself um, and I feel like it really brings like sunshine into your day and when you're a parent who's tired and it's pouring with rain and you're just stuck at home like putting colorful clothes on your kids like has such an effect on mood as like I think they call it dopamine dressing like wear color and you will you will bring like sunshine so that was one of my other focuses as well as the the functionality of the product that's brilliant thank you and during your research I'm really curious did you at any point and maybe you didn't this early on but did you at any point sort of test out your ideas on people um in terms of the actual products and if if so at what stage did you feel comfortable to say okay this is my idea yeah I should have mentioned I actually did some surveys quite early on uh, well, I did uh, two rounds so firstly it was just kind of looking more at the market the clothing market as a whole and like what kind of things people were buying and how much they were spending and then I, I was a bit more specific in my kind of concept to see whether people liked it and um, I did the the surveys I started with friends and family and then I put them actually into some of those Facebook groups I'd mentioned with 
lots of parents there's so many with thousands and thousands of parents UK and worldwide and I just said like if anyone's got five minutes would you mind filling this in and I didn't think I'd get a huge response because I wasn't like offering anything up but I did I got a, a really good response on them and that kind of gave me the confidence in the concept um as well as I kind of turned to my my home ec sewing classes and and make and attach some socks into my daughter's trousers um just at home and shared that with some friends and they were all like that's an amazing idea like you should go for it um so yeah I did a bit of testing um I would say probably in the first three to four months and then I thought that you just got to give it a try and then um, see what happens from there yeah absolutely and I think it's really brave as well to share your idea and the reason I asked is I know that there were there were different thoughts out there aren't there about whether you should share your idea how soon you share your idea um personally I think it is a good idea because you don't know if it's a good idea when it's just your idea so it sounds like what you did was really sensible and so once you'd um you know you were pretty confident that the concept was going to work what happened next yeah so like I said I've developed products before so I was kind of aware of like the stages you had to take but actually developing a clothing product was was very different to to food products I've developed in the past but I tried to look at it in like a similar light and so I realized if it was it was food product I'd need to come up with a recipe and for a clothing product I effectively had to do the same and I learned that that was called a tech pack which is effectively step by step of how to make the product and all the ingredients that um, you would need to make it so that was kind of my analogy in my head like right okay I need to create the recipe for this product um, and I found that in order to do that I needed a garment technologist because I didn't have the, the experience or the knowledge to be able to do that um, so I found a garment technologist online I think I interviewed maybe four different ones and found one that seemed to really get my product and like the idea and um, she created the first tech pack which is uh, like the the dimensions of the product, how it looks, materials and things like where your labels are going to be, um, things like that. So that was my first step. And that felt like quite a big achievement um, getting getting to something that looked like what I was uh, thinking of. In, in reality, it's very far from where I am now, like it has progressed and, and developed, but that was the starting point. At the same time, I spent a lot of time looking for material manufacturers because I wasn't sure how I wanted the material to be, like how what material I wanted and how it was going to look um, and the kind of material sourcing. So that kind of product development phase was a lot of like discovery and working out like in the clothing industry, how it works with manufacturers and um, how much they do and how much you need to do yourself because there's lots of kind of different types of manufacturers you can do ones that you basically buy everything and give it to them and then they put it together or you can work with someone who will develop everything for you and give you a finished product there's quite a difference um in their price and how they work so that was a whole kind of learning phase again um and it was it was it was a good one <laughs> it probably took me two or three months that I, I was doing that phase whilst also looking for manufacturers and building the brand all at the same time and I should also mention the print design uh, which was a big part so originally I had planned to um, get someone in to help me design the prints I had kind of a bit of an idea of what I wanted them to look like the abstract bright colours 
but I had no experience in print design and I, I didn't think of myself as being that creative. Um, but it was actually my sister who has a lot more experience. She's worked in fashion before and she said, why don't you just have a go at like putting some things together, playing with some colors, and then you can go from there. And I love the process. So I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos on how you could create prints yourself. Um, and in the end, all five prints are in my range I've created myself. Um, so that was quite uh, a learning process, but I just, I, I found it such like a methodical um, and creative way of like doing something when you're tired, but you still wanted to, to get to do something with your hands. So like sitting at night um, and watching TV and just like creating the prints. Um, and then I found a, a print designer online who was able to then kind of digitize them for me. So like, I wasn't sure if I was to go to a print manufacturer, if they would actually be able to print what I'd made. Uh, so I found her and she was able to get them into the right uh, kind of ratio and file format so that they were print ready. Thank you. Well, that's, that, that is a lot. <laughs> it sounds like you're really busy. I'm, I've got a few questions. My first one is, um, and I'm sorry if this is a really daft question, but so are the designs printed onto fabric or are they woven into the fabric? And I know that might be a really daft question, but I honestly don't know. No, no, that's a good question. And it's another, that was a whole other learning is like how the actual uh, fabrics are printed because you've got so many different options. Um, so mine are what's called digital printing. Um, the, which is a more modern version of printing and it allows you to do smaller uh, quantities. And so it's kind of printed on demand and you can do anything from like a 20 centimeter square right up to meter to meters. Whereas if you go for a more traditional method, it's, it's very intensive um, in the actual uh, procedure, uh, like the process. So you, you need to do a lot bigger runs. Um, and that was not something that I was wanting to do up front. So uh, straight away, I'd said uh, for starting out, I needed to go digital printing, um, which has some downsides. But I've, I found a really good printer here I use in Poland to I went through like lots of different ones to to test out the, the getting the right color and the right kind of um, longevity of the prints. And I'm happy with the one I've got. That's really good. And so do you have to source the fabric and then send it to get printed? Is that how it works? Um, you can do that. And that that's what I was kind of looking at in that second phase of development, that I would be buying my own material and then finding a printer. But what I've, I've what I've actually got now is a, a company that do both. So they they source all the material and you can choose which one that you want printed and you just provide your designs. Oh, that's fantastic. And like that yeah, must make things easier as well. Definitely. Yeah. And then before we move on, if that's okay, one more question yeah. about the tech packs. I'm just I'm just curious again because I don't know much about the clothing industry. Yeah. So does the um specialist that you work with, when it comes to tech pack, are they able to guide you in terms of what materials might work? Um where you'd put washing like you know all those small yeah. things. Um it's part of their role to help you figure that out because I'm guessing that you might have some ideas, but they've obviously got so much more experience. In, yeah, in there. Is definitely. that part of their role? Um, it, I think it really depends on, on who you go with, but they, I certainly at the beginning was leaning on my tech pack designer to kind of tell me what she knew. And like, she was the one that kind of guided me on 
what was needed. Originally, I had a drawstring at the waist and I quickly learned that there was a lot of safety regulations around that with younger children. And in the end, I've not actually got one on the product because I didn't think it was needed. But she was able to tell me things like that, as well as, like you say, the, the need for the wash care labels and then where your size labels need to be. Um, so, yeah, I would say, depending on who you get, then they can help you and find all this information out. But equally, you, you can find it out online. It's just a bit more work. Yeah, thank you. So I guess it I guess then it's quite important to interview as you did interview a couple of people and find someone who's able to do what you need from them because I guess everyone will have different you know some people I guess will know exactly what they need and just need someone to put the pack together while others might need a bit more uh, insight I guess is the right word into it yeah exactly that's right thank you so let's move on to the next stage if that's okay Claire yeah so what happened next oh sorry I thought you were okay. gonna ask me the next the next phase of questions uh so the next phase after product development uh, would be the manufacturing phase which is probably the, the most challenging in that it's uh, all a bit of an unknown and uh, when you're on your own it can quite often feeling like you're shouting into a black hole um and it's an area that I was probably more experienced with because I dealt with a lot of manufacturers in in previous roles where I was taking products that were developed and saying, can you manufacture this? But I usually had a big brand behind me and that was really nice and you and you already had a relationship there. But when you're on your own and you're just cold emailing or cold calling people and, and saying, hey, can you help me manufacture my product? Then it's a lot more difficult to kind of get that conversation started. Uh, so yeah, the manufacturing phase was was a big one. And I spent a lot of time looking for manufacturers and there's so many different places you can find them simply through Google, which has its um, plus sides and downsides because you tend to get the big, big ones on there. Um, I found that actually looking through hashtags on LinkedIn and Instagram, I was able to kind of source a lot of manufacturers that way. Uh, some brands post the list of their manufacturers on their website, which can be quite helpful to kind of get some leads. And then, of course, back on the Facebook group. So um, there's one Facebook group I'm part of called the Fashion Feed, which has been an amazing help. And a lot of people share manufacturing, manufacturers information on there. So, yeah, that was that was kind of a big learning. I was at the beginning, I was looking at manufacturers in every country. It wasn't like it needs to be UK made, it needs, needs to be made here. I was very open to like it being made anywhere. Um, and Poland, uh, sorry, not Poland, Portugal was mentioned by a lot of people as being a big um, place for, for kids who are manufacturers. Um, but what I found is that I would get so far was one and then it, they would stop responding or the MOQs wouldn't work or there was just something every time, like it was a hurdle. So you kept feeling that you're getting somewhere and then it would be like, oh, back to the drawing board need to find someone else um and I think at that point I realized that I wasn't actually ready for manufacturing and I this is something that I'd heard in other podcasts that to be ready to manufacture you need to you need to have samples made you need to have your tech pack like nailed and I think at some point I realized actually I've got a tech pack but I've, I've never had samples made and I was hoping that I could find a manufacturer that might be able to do that for me or at least assist me with but I think I was looking for a needle in the haystack at that point. And I thought, okay, I need to find a different way um, that's maybe 
a bit slower and um, maybe a bit more expensive, but it's going to allow me to test. And that's when I started looking to the seamstress rather than the manufacturer. That really makes sense. And I think finding manufacturers is, is really, yeah, it's, it's, it's lots of things. It's hard. It's, it's hard work. It's, it's definitely hard work. I really like what you said about how you use Instagram looking for supplies, actually, because that's, I guess, something that people may not automatically think of is going on LinkedIn or, or going on Instagram or, or anywhere yeah. else. I think Google is somewhere people go and obviously they're resourcing sites. I think that's really smart as well to kind of broaden your search because yeah. I think you do need to be in order to find a good manufacturer you need to be contacting as many as possible like yeah. you can't just pick up the phone and phone five people and hope for the best can you it's no absolutely no and yeah you do need to kind of be creative and and the other one I should have said was TikTok so a lot of these big factories are actually on TikTok now which you maybe wouldn't have thought about at the beginning but like when I didn't think about the beginning of starting my brand but um, they're doing marketing just as much as we're marketing they're wanting more clients so they're using things like TikTok and Instagram to market their factories that's really it's just something else that I wouldn't have thought of I guess things are moving on so so quickly aren't they um yet I mean TikTok isn't something that I use but it makes total sense actually that factories you know would be looking as you say looking for more clients yeah definitely and so at that stage, had you decided then you were going to get someone, like you mentioned to seamstress, to make up a small batch rather than sort of doing large scale manufacturing? Yeah, that's at that point I kind of stopped and I kind of reassessed where I was at. I think I was getting so caught up in the fact that I couldn't find a manufacturer and that it was never going to work that I hadn't realised that it was, it was actually because I wasn't ready and the product wasn't ready for a manufacturer. So I then set up about looking for a seamstress and I was really lucky I managed to find a seamstress quite local to me in Edinburgh so she's just 30 minutes away um, and went and, and met with her and she was exactly what I was looking for so she helped me take the tech the original tech pack and actually turn it into samples which is something like looking back I'm like how, how had I not done that how did I think that I could just jump from a tech pack which is all theoretical measurements straight to manufacture and the seamstress was able to actually create the product that was on my tech pack. And you have like one size that's in the middle of your sizes. So I've got five sizes. We chose the midpoint and she made a sample of that. And I was able to test that on my daughter and make tweaks on it, make size tweaks. Um, and we went through a few processes, a few different iterations of, of sizes before I was happy. And then um, I found a pattern grader. So another a person I didn't know I need, needed was a pattern grader who takes that one size and makes sure that the sizes up and down from that are accurate. Um, and between the pattern cutter and the seamstresses was a bit of a kind of back and forward of getting the, the samples made, making small tweaks on each one. And then the pattern grader would regrade the, the patterns that you use to make the product. So that was a whole process which I'd I just didn't realize I needed to do and I'm so glad I did because it made sure that we got the the right fit for the product um and then it, it also was able to happen quite quickly because I was local so I could go meet with her and we can make the changes there and then um and she was also able to help me create the first actual products so when you do the sampling you do it in a a, a material that's not your final final 
um, printing material just due to cost. But then when we were happy with all the sizing, she was then able to make a full range. And that was amazing because it was like actually seeing your product in real life, not just on, on digitized on screen. So yeah, definitely having a seamstress was amazing. And I still use her now. So for my, my sweatshirts and my dribble bibs, um, I do them in smaller quantities. So she still makes them for me. And it just allows you to kind of test and learn and make changes rather than going to manufacture where you have a huge number of upfront costs with everything you need to buy. Um, and then the risks that you take on from that. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think you're first of all, I think you're so right that it makes total sense to do a small batch initially rather than, as you say, order potentially hundreds and then find out that actually that, you know, they're hard to sell. Yeah. Um, but also it makes so much sense what you were saying about working with the seamstress to work out the sizes, because that was a question I had that you, you've answered now. Thank you for that, which mm -hmm. was how on earth do you know, like how big something needs to be to fit a six month old or a 12 month old or or yeah. whatever it's it must be an absolute minefield so I think that sounds like a really worthwhile price I guess it must have added time to what you were doing but it sounds like it was so worthwhile yeah definitely um I I yeah naively thought you could just go straight into manufacturing the theoretical sizes that the tech pack had would be accurate but they're they're so different from from where I am now and actually I made quite a few design changes to the original tech pack as well so like the the cut of the trouser is different and uh the waistband width and all these little things that you don't realize when you're just seeing it at the picture on the screen and then when you actually see the product and you put it on someone it's like okay these things need to change um so yeah probably something obvious to many people listening but at the time i i did not realize the importance of it and to be honest it's only obvious when you know isn't it yeah. like in hindsight it might be obvious but at the time I, I don't I, there's so much that just isn't obvious because we, we just don't know yeah exactly so never give yourself a hard time for not knowing things <laughs> because I think we all learn by not knowing things so did you do um a lot of testing with the samples then because that must have been a good opportunity as well to actually get them on babies and check that they didn't pull work down or yeah <laughs> yeah no I did I did uh so actually giving them to people with of all different sizes so it was mainly just based on my daughter at the beginning purely because I had her to hand to try them on and um, but once I was able to get the full range of sizes I, I was looking for friends and family who had babies in different age categories to try them out um, and also to kind of generate my in first images of the product like on different children so um yeah going again going with a, a seamstress enabled that I think if you go straight to manufacture then you don't always get all this the samples up front or at least you have to pay quite a lot of money to get samples done whereas the seamstress it's, it's kind of a different arrangement. So you, you actually have samples you can get photography done um, and do your testing as well. That's amazing. And I guess that all gears you up ready to start selling. Definitely, yeah. So it was it was a different, originally I'd planned to get the manufacturer and have a big product launch and have all these products to sell. And it completely flipped. I completely changed my tact and decided, no, I was going to do this slowly and I was going to try and do it um in a way that I could learn at each step and and that's what the seamstress enabled me to do so she made my first production run and then the, this the subsequent two production runs after that were through the seamstress and I started I think it was like maybe 30 units at the beginning and 
that was amazing like it was actual product I could sell but it wasn't I wasn't having to buy so much that I was going to be sitting on all this stock with only having I think I had like two or three hundred followers on Instagram when I launched um so I I knew and um I'd heard it again in podcasts that you should never have more stock than your followers um which is a good learning and something that I tried to stick by at the at the beginning so that's uh that's how I started and it was allowed me to launch quite quickly another thing with manufacturers is you have quite a long lead time as well as the upfront costs uh, whereas with the seamstress I was able to to get something that I could actually launch into the market and then get feedback on and if there was uh, there wasn't many changes to, to be made but if there had been then I, I was able to do that before the next launch of products so it was very much small scale at the beginning that really makes sense and I guess as well if and it sounds like you did so much testing this wasn't going to be the case but let's say for example you did find out there was an issue on a certain size or something I guess it would have been with 10 units maybe rather than hundreds um because what I mean what I guess no one wants to do is order a lot of something and then find out that actually there's something that's not quite right because either that stock you can't sell or you get all kinds of issues but it sounds like because it was a small batch had anything not being quite right you would have had the opportunity to change that without it having a massive impact yeah financially or otherwise yeah and there there was actually you mentioned that on one of the smaller sizes the waistband um elasticity or the the width of the waistband meant that it was too tight and that's something that we were able to pick up right on that first batch and I think maybe only three or four uh, units were affected and then for the next batch we were able to increase it and it's just like right that's sorted with with minimal impact to um to the range which was great that makes so much sense and before we talk a little bit more about the launch what I'm also interested in is I know that you've mentioned that your jogger socks now um you've moved from small batch production to a larger manufacturer so how how did that come about and how does that work now if you don't mind sharing no yeah of course uh, so that's been more of a recent thing so I just had the the first batch of product delivered last month so all fairly new. Uh, and that's after I'd done the first three batches with my seamstress, I kind of got to a point where I was like, right, I need to grow. If I want to grow this, the seamstress is, is great, but there's there's not mar- there's no margin in it or very little margin in it um, when, you're, when your costs are high. Um, going to manufacture will reduce your costs as well as being able to get a lot of stock at once. Um, so I, I knew I had to take the step at some point. Um, so I went back to my long, long, long list of manufacturers that I'd reached out um, in the, the first year and just started contacting them again. And by that point, I was a bit more clued up on what I needed and where I was at. And I was very confident I already had the product developed and I, I knew how um, I needed to work with the manufacturer to get them made. So I also had the fabric, I should have said. Um, so I, I was relying less on the manufacturer. I was just looking for someone to put them together. And it was actually one of those follow-up emails that that um, gave the manufacturer that I've ended up going with. And uh, they're in, in the UK, which again, at the outset, I didn't ever think it was going to be possible to find a UK manufacturer based on, on cost. But I have and it's amazing I'm so happy to be making in the UK because as well as all the issues with Brexit and shipping and uh, so many um, problems that you have with bringing in in stock into the into the country it's uh it's an amazing company they're baby baby wear specific 
Um, they're owned by women. It's they do relatively small scale, small batches, and they were able to like really help me with that transition from seamstress to manufacturer. So they've got so much experience, and like I feel like I've hit a gold, um, gold dust with like actually finding them. So they made it really easy for me to transition, and they were able to kind of point me in the right direction for getting more labels made, getting my care labels made, my brand labels. Um, and kind of handhold in that process, as well as the kind of, I knew they already made baby wear for lots of brands. So I knew that they were at the, the standard that I needed. And they also had the safety measures in place to make sure that the product was, was compliant. That sounds amazing. And what a difference as well. It sounds like you were in a completely different space when you contacted them, because as you said, you'd done the small batches, you'd done lots of testing, you knew exactly where you were and what you needed. That must have made a difference in how you or reached out to, to manufacturers definitely I think I was I was more ready when they came back and originally they'd said that they were at capacity for the year and they weren't taking any new clients and I think I was potentially a little bit relieved because I, I realized that maybe if they had said yes can you manufacture next week then I, I wouldn't have known what to do whereas this time when they said yeah we, we have space coming up then I was able to say right okay like book me in I'll be ready for it so yeah, it, it was a definite, um, it was probably like eight or nine months, the time difference of speaking to them. But in that time frame, I learned so much um, about what was actually required. Yeah, it sounds like it was definitely time well spent. Yes, definitely. So um, so let's talk about the next stage in the process then. So I guess we're up to the point at which you were sort of launching your, your products with the smaller batches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I launched... December 2021 uh, so 10 months now it, it definitely feels like a lot longer than that but um, that's when the website went live so I created a, a Shopify site and um, and, and did a, a product launch that way managed to sell through fairly quickly and then um, did another uh, small drop after that and just tried to it became it was like a change in what I was doing so you're going from very like focused on the manufacturing the product and then you get the product and it's like right okay how do you sell this like how do you market this and that was an, an area that I don't have a huge amount of experience or I didn't have a huge amount of experience in before it never actually worked in marketing um but I again enjoyed the process of finding out and there's so many uh podcasts I'm going to mention podcasts the whole way through this that you can listen to on specific areas of marketing so I, I tried to like focus in on different things I could be doing and there's so many different ways to market um, but that was another uh, another reason I wanted to go to a manufacturer because I felt that although I was I had some stock I was constantly becoming out of stock online on not all but some of the sizes uh, went really quickly and some of the prints and I felt like sometimes my marketing was getting a bit lost because you're driving people to your site and then there's no stock and you're wondering are they not buying because it's, it's not, they've not got the right size or print or are they not buying because they don't like the product and that was another point I was like okay I think I need to to go to a manufacturer because I need to get more scalability as well as having the the kind of margin in order to do wholesale and um and other marketing activities as well as um, as the selling aspect. And I would also say the influencers. Uh, so I really wanted to be able to gift influencers, which is a big way to grow your business. But when you've only got 
certain amount of stock, you don't want to then be giving it away to influencers and then driving traffic and your, your website's out of stock. So all of those things were, were big reasons for me from moving to the seamstress to the manufacturer. Yeah, I can definitely see the challenge there because I guess you're putting so much work in, but then if there's nothing to actually sell for you to see the return at the end of it, you're just going in circles. I yeah, assume. going in circles and never sure why you're not seeing the constant sales. Uh, so I, I realised that I had to take the the next step at some point to to go from small scale to I mean I wouldn't say I'm large scale now but I've got a lot more product to to play with now than I did with the seamstress and so you mentioned and you're quite right that there's so many different things you can do in terms of marketing your products what have been some of the things that have worked for you um I'm still learning to be honest in that area and I think there's there's so many different things and the more you kind of read the more it, it does become a little bit overwhelming sometimes so I'm trying to focus on a few key areas so Instagram was always where I started I think for many businesses during COVID Instagram was the place that everyone was and everyone was shopping and finding new brands so it felt naturally the right place to start but I'd say over time I'm maybe spending a bit more time on TikTok and um, using Pinterest as well. Uh, so they Pinterest has a bit of a, a longer term strategy behind it. So you don't always see sales straight away, but I, I do see traffic to my website through my Pinterest posts. Um, and TikTok is, yeah, is, <laughs> I'm still trying to work that one out. I'm posting and trying to get followers and I, I definitely see I'm seeing views on my videos whether that's translating into sales I would say I'm not sure at the moment but what I'm reading and what I'm listening to um it, it takes a bit of a, a it's a longer term strategy you don't always see instant results from it and um, also email marketing which is a big one um it talks about a lot what so getting people onto your your newsletter I do monthly email out about product hacks sorry not product hack about parenting hacks so it's not marketing specific it's more to do with parenting and I also recommend podcasts in it so I use that to try and engage with my audience and um, I've done some giveaways to try and get more people onto my email li list and again I'm it's early days I think it's working I have seen a few sales off the back of emails so that gives me a sign that it's just kind of being front of mind to people because I certainly find myself that I might see a product online that I like, but I'm not, I don't need it right now, or maybe it's a gift, but I don't have anyone to buy for it now. And I used to save things in Instagram um, and I go back to them, but I am more and more realizing that email marketing also works for me. So although I used to think, oh, I, I don't like getting emails and they're really annoying. I also realize how often I, find myself on a website because I've got an email and that quite often links to a sale so I'm trying to use that thought process and not send so many marketing emails that I'm annoying people but just like occasional marketing or or my monthly um, hack email just so that you're front of mind so when they're they do have a gift to buy or um, they're having a problem with keeping their socks on that you're the brand that they think of first. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think also that lots of um, lots of sort of expectant mums start looking around for baby products as well. I mean, I certainly did, but you don't necessarily buy it because you don't need it then, but you're very 
receptive to finding out what products are out there and what you might need. But it might be a good, I don't know, anywhere up to a year before that actually is a product that you need to buy. So I guess it makes sense that not everyone who sees your marketing is going to be in a position to buy right then. And yeah, I also definitely. think it makes sense what you say about figuring out what works, because I guess if you've been in business now for 10 months, that is quite a long time, but it also isn't. I think it takes a while, doesn't it, to figure out what works, what doesn't work, to give things a good go before realizing yeah. they don't work for you. I think marketing is just, and it changes so much as well, like how people shop and where they shop. So yeah, it's yeah. it's like it's a whole art form. And I think even within marketing, there's just so many different ways, like ways you can do it. Um, and like you said, we've been going for 10 months, but a lot of like it's only been a, a month, just over a month since I've had all the stock. So that's when I've really been able to, I guess, dial up my marketing a bit more. I've been looking at doing some Facebook ads, although I'm still a bit nervous about that because it just feels like quite a scary thing to embark on. But you need to you need to explore all avenues um and and just influencers as well so I had some some nice recommendations over the weekend which I hadn't asked for so on two different influencer sites um one who had close to half a million followers had recommended my product on her stories and I saw a huge uptake in um people on my website and followers and it was like wow that's amazing I, I probably would have spent I don't know 50 to 100 pounds on Facebook ads maybe to get the same result as just someone organically finding your brand and recommending it so um that that wasn't marketing that I'd seeked out but it, it definitely worked that is amazing and had you sent those influencers products or had they just brought them and decided to share them no, neither of them had the product. They had just heard about them. Oh. And <laughs> coming to autumn, winter, when babies are taking their socks off and everyone's worried about their heating bills, um, it seems like perfect time for my products to be talked about when mums are saying, how do you keep your baby socks on? And I think both influencers had been recommended them somewhere. I don't know, via their stories or, or other, and they posted them. Um, and then subsequently I've reached out to both to say thank you and I, I'm hoping to send them both product to try so it's yeah it's all about kind of building that relationship and then um, nurturing it from there because I think as well with influencers particularly it's hard to to get that engagement at the beginning they get I'm sure they get so many people reaching out to them and actually having a product that they need and they want and they want to promote for you um, it's quite hard to find so I was I've felt very lucky this weekend that to have kind of fallen into my lap which is great yeah that's amazing and especially as you hadn't had to reach out to them because I know lots of businesses do sort of influence outreach or post things out and hope to get features but the fact that they found you and and talked about you is just incredible isn't it yeah and you, it's great. you mentioned just then the time of year it's coming into autumn and people are worried about heating and staying cold do you have any sort of PR or anything planned around that because that seems like such a I know pivotal pivotal yeah. time of year um I'm trying I would say on the PR it's another area that I had no experience in whatsoever and it it feels like just uh and end, I've said that about marketing too, but it feels like an endless um, loop you can go into about reaching out to to potential um, publishers or um, journalists who could talk about your story. So yeah, I've been reaching out to them 
I've not heard back on any free PR at, mom at the moment. I'm getting a lot of feedback that, yes, we will feature your product, but you have to pay for it, which is good and bad because you get is that I would see that more as advertising than, than PR. Um, and I, I'm doing a bit of that. So I've got a feature going out in a magazine next month. So it'd be interesting to see how, how much I get from that. Um, but until you kind of start then it's, yeah, it's a hard one to know what the right publication, not that what the right publications, but like what the right um, focus is, like where you should be um, putting your money. Definitely. And something I'm, else I'm definitely picking up on as we're talking is there's so much, isn't there, as a business owner that you just don't know, whatever your background is, um, there's always going to be something that you don't have experience in that you're just going to have to figure out as you go. Exactly. Yeah. So many components. Yeah, and PR definitely seems to be a, another long-term game that um, you pitch now, but it might not be the right time because that journalist you pitch to maybe has nothing on their on their um, on their range of needing a product like yours. But it doesn't mean to say that they don't need it further down the line. So it's about reaching out and then following up um, and kind of just there's an element of luck, but I think it's always just making sure you're front of mind as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a lot of it is just being consistent and same as we were talking about with lots of elements of marketing, isn't it? It's just keeping going and, you know, having faith that it will pay off, but it's not always, you know, you don't always do something this week and see the sales next week. It could be months down the line before you actually see an impact of what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'll be honest, I've stopped counting. Have we got one more um, stage that you wanted to talk through? Um. Hi, I think that's all of them. I think I'm very much in the kind of marketing and selling phase at the moment. And when we've spoken through the different kinds of marketing that I've tried, the, the selling, I guess, would be the last one. So uh, the website has been up until now the, the main place that I sell my product, but I'm now looking to expand that and to, to have other points of sale, which I think is really important for any business because as much as you can drive website to your traffic, sorry, drive traffic to your website, it's always going to be easier if someone's already on another website um, to find your product. So I'm looking to do some wholesale on online retail and also really hopeful to get into some smaller retailers in the UK. There's so many amazing gift shops and baby shops. But again, that's a whole new area I'm learning about. And it's someone said on a podcast recently that in order to get into a retailer, they have to either be expanding or another brand or product has to come off shelf to get your shelf, your product on there. And that was a really kind of big learning for me because I felt like with all the retailers I was reaching out to that they just weren't interested or they didn't like the product. But I think it comes back to right place, right time. And they need to actually be needing a product like yours. Um, and some retailers I've spoken to said, we've, we've still got so much stock from last year because we didn't have a good Christmas, so we're not looking to take anyone on now, but it doesn't mean in the future, like we can't, um, we can't talk, bring in your brand. So yeah, retail's been one um, as well, and, and the online retailers um, through wholesale, and then also looking to do some more kind of pop-ups in, in real life events. So I've done two up until now, very different pop-ups. So one being, a, it was like a kid's messy play festival, and it was actually the first time that they'd done the festival. So it was all 
a bit of an unknown how it was going to go but it was it was really really good because it allowed me to see how to set up my stand and how I would take payment and how to talk to customers and um, so that was the first time I'd actually sold to people face to face um, and since then I've done another pop-up in Edinburgh in the city centre which is completely different um, clientele because it was mainly like tourists and people out doing their shopping um, but both have been great and I've had um, good sales on both days that I, like more sales than I would get through my website so I've realized that's definitely an area I want to do more of the pop-ups because you've got the marketing element as well as the um, and the sales element on the same at the same time so yeah I'd say selling is probably the last bit and um, a real focus now. Yeah and it sounds like you've done loads already and I could definitely see what you mean about well you know why you develop pop-ups but I think that while everything is increasingly moving online, people still really like to shop in person, don't they? And actually pick things up and touch them and talk to people. And yeah, yeah definitely. While, while we shop online for the convenience, I think particularly if it's kind of more like an impulse purchase, it's when I say impulse, I mean something you maybe didn't know you needed or didn't know you were looking for. I think we've all probably had that experience of seeing something in, you know, a market or a pop-up and just thinking, oh gosh, I actually really need this. And I didn't even know it existed. Exactly, um, yeah. And there's something really nice about being able to speak to the person behind business as well. Yeah, definitely. I find that on both events and the first one being a, a lot of parents and other brand owners, so other kind of pop-up stalls. And that was good for me, finding out what other pop-ups were out there or where they'd had success. Um, and yeah, just getting used to to talking to people again, because I feel with COVID and also starting a, a brand is fair it's kind of a very solo process you're you're very much just alone with your laptop um or your phone and there isn't always a huge amount of interaction with people so actually getting out into doing in real life events um you definitely get some of that back which is great it is really good and you were talking a bit about online other online marketplaces and mm -hmm. um i know that recently you've got on not on the high street Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'd love to talk a bit about that because I think that's huge. I know it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so would you mind talking a little bit about that? Maybe if you're if you're comfortable to just a little bit about the process as well, because um, I know years ago when I looked into this, it was quite difficult. I'm sure it's not any easier. So it'd be great to know a little bit about what's involved and how you found it so far, if that's OK. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that the not on the high streets, another one of the kind of selling platforms or selling areas I was looking at, and I felt like they were a good fit in terms of their their brands. So things that are not on the high street and they're a bit more innovative and a bit more creative, where but they're not fully handmade. So I'd say someone like Etsy being more of like your handmade. I know they're not always handmade, but um, I thought not on the high street was like a better fit for us. And it was also a good fit in terms of the their their target audience. So people are quite often looking for gifts on there. And I'd say that we're like I said before, we're we're a very kind of gift worthy product. So that's why I chose them. I, my sister also has her own business, and she has been on there for a couple of years and had had really good success with them. So she was the one that said, "I think you should apply." Um, and and that's what it is actually you, you you do just apply at the beginning and they review your website and the, they ask you a few questions about your business and they they came back and said that, that you've been accepted um you've got a 200 pound joining fee which you pay 
to kind of create your storefront and to to get your back end system set up. Um, and then from there, it's a bit like creating a website, but not quite as complex, but you have similar fields that you need to fill in. So you need to do your product listings and you need to create your kind of about you page and um, all your terms and conditions. But I would say that they really hold your hand through the whole process. And they've, they've got a lot of resource on their website about like how you should um, optimize your pages and um, what works and what doesn't. And they also review your pages before your site goes live. Um, so they, they came back to me and said that you need to change that image or you, I would suggest you change this bit of text. So that's really nice, like having that feedback. Um, and they've also got a really good, I think it's called a, a CMR system. I may have got that um, acronym wrong, but it's like they're, they're back in management systems. So you can go in and manage your stock and manage your lead times. And that's all very new, I believe. Like it's, um, they've changed it in the last couple of years. Um, and they also do some great events and they have like a lot of uh, resource that is, is free to anyone who's on their website. So like they've got a two day workshop uh, this week called Unlock Your Growth. And it's like loads of talks and face-to-face um, and -face meetings to, to learn about how to make your website run better, how to sell more products, how to get ready for Christmas, all these kind of things that I think is amazing. So you're, you're paying to be on the site and sell products, but you're also getting a, a good network of people um, and a support through, through being on there. It sounds like the support's brilliant, actually. And I think this is all, um, from what I can gather anyway, fairly new. Um, it sounds like they, they definitely do, are doing a lot to support sellers. Yeah, so as well as they've just had a, a brand refresh as well. Sorry, Vicky, I interrupted you there. They've, they've just completely redone their branding. And I think as part of that, they did a, a huge piece of research into their customer and they realized that their customer was slightly different to what they thought it was. And they shared all that marketing research with their storefronts. Um, and that also was really helpful in making and uh, how you kind of set up your pages to target that audience. Um, so yeah, overall, so far, it's been a good experience with Not On The High Street. That's really interesting. And as well as paying the £200 to get sort of on them and set up, are there ongoing fees or anything? I hope you don't mind me asking. I'm just trying to get a set. No, no. Um, yeah, so they take a commission of each sale. Um, it's approximately 25%. Uh, so not as high as if you were going into a, a retail store, but it's 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 considerable. Um, margin so you, you do need to have margin in your product to be able to, to go on there um, but with that you get the uh, their pool of uh, their target audience they they also quite often do marketing emails and they'll include new brands in there so you could think like how much you would spend on putting a kind of ad out to the the number of customers that not on the high street has like you do get wins um from from being on the site the support does sound brilliant because I guess bottom line is it's in their interests for you to sell well. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it also gives your brand credibility um, to because naturally if someone hears about your brand or they see it on Instagram. Yes, they're going to have a look at your website. But um, I find that also people Google you. And if they see that you're on a number of different places, for me anyway, then it makes me think a brand's more credible because they've got lots of points of sale rather than just their website. Yeah, and, and particularly not on the high street because not everyone can sell there. Where there's lots of platforms like Amazon and Etsy, 
pretty much any business can get set up there in a couple of days and start selling, but not on the high street doesn't accept every everyone who applies. So I think that's quite nice as well, because it's almost saying, okay, somebody else has vetted this company and the products and they've decided that it's worthy of a place on here. So I think there was a little bit of prestige about being on those. You might not want to say that, but I think <laughs> there is because not, I mean, when I had my baby brand years ago, I remember I applied to get on the high street and didn't get on there and they gave us lovely feedback. Um, but I know it's not a case of anyone who wants an account is going to get one. They are particular about who they choose, which I think is, is really good for the sellers to end up on there. Yeah, definitely. No, that, that I, I didn't realize it was as hard as, as that, maybe because it was accepted quite quickly. But um, it's yeah, so far it's been good. We've been I've been on there for a month. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes uh, coming up to Christmas. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I'm really into keep me posted how you, how you do. <laughs> I think it's probably a great um, place to be in the lead up for Christmas because I imagine lots of people will be going there for their gifts. Definitely. So I've got one more question before we finish, Claire, because I'm going to be really mindful of your time. You shared so much of us. Um, you said this might be a tricky question, but what would your number one piece of advice be for other product creators? If I can hold you to one. Um, I think it would be don't be afraid to try everything yourself. Um, I, from the outset, was very set that I wanted to do every step along the way and learn about what it took to actually create a brand. And I think there's some amazing experts out there. And certainly in time, I might outsource more of what I do, but I've learned a huge amount from actually having to do the marketing, the sales, the branding. Um, I've done every step along the way. And I think that has definitely um, held me in good stead and allowed me to make sure the brand's exactly as I want it. I think sometimes when you use experts too soon um, or you outsource things like your branding, then it is very expensive. So it's, a, it's an upfront cost, but it's not always authentic to what you wanted it to be. Um, and so, yeah, that would be my thing is don't be afraid to, to try everything yourself. It might take a bit longer, but I think it definitely pays off in the end. That makes sense. Thank you. And I think as well, because I'll be honest, I'm, I am personally a fan of outsourcing, but I'm also with you that it's good to start everything yourself because then when you do outsource, you know exactly what you need and what you're looking exactly. for. Because um, I think every part of my business that I've outsourced, I previously did do myself. Um, because yeah, I think otherwise you're in a position where you don't you don't really know what it is that you're exactly that you need someone else to do. It's much better if you've sort of given it a go and then yeah, you're you're much clearer on what it is you, you're looking for. So, so that yeah. makes total sense. I think sometimes I, for some things I've started doing myself and I've realized that. I'm, I'm useless at it and I will outsource at some point when I when I can but I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't actually given it a try myself and I think the other side of that is you also don't know what you're going to be good at until you try it yourself exactly like my print designs at right back at the beginning so I never intended to create all the the prints for my jogger socks but um here we are with with that two years on and I don't know whether I'll do the future ones either because um, it probably did take me a lot longer to do them than it would have done if I'd gone to a print expert straight away. But again, I've understood the process and I think it would allow me to work a lot better with someone in the future to, to create them on my behalf. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that, Claire, and for everything that you shared. Thank you very much for having me. It was lovely to be on my first podcast after being such a fan of podcasts for, for so many years.
Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.